invite you to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9. If you're using the Pew Bibles, that'll be on page 573, Isaiah 9, uh, verses 1 through 7. Continuing our Advent series, uh, considering God's most gracious gift. This morning, that theme of a conquering son. But hear God's word, Isaiah chapter 9, beginning with verse 1. This is the word of God. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of the burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Amen to this reading of God's holy and divinely inspired word. Uh, The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for your word that is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. We thank you as well for giving to us your Holy Spirit that helps us understand your word that sheds the light uh, so that we might see and walk in faith with Christ. Uh, Father, we pray that you would give us um, a, a gospel understanding of all of your word, Father, even here in Isaiah 9, may we see Christ as he is so clearly, compassionately revealed as our Redeemer, the Prince of Peace. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Now, as we read through the history books, we learn about uh, the great conquerors who captured the world's spotlight for a season. You know, think of cruel conquerors such as Attila, the Hun from the 5th century, said took no mercy on his enemies. Uh, we might also think, thinking biblically, biblically, think of Herod, who ruled when Jesus Christ was born. When he heard about the, the birth of Christ, he ordered the deaths of all the male children born in Bethlehem, two years old and younger. Uh, but then later, an angel of the Lord struck down Herod because he did not give God the glory. We could also think of proud conquerors like Napoleon Bonaparte, who rose, fell, rose again uh, to military big power there in France after the French Revolution. You know, here in Isaiah 9, and I encourage you to keep your Bibles open as we study God's word together. Here in Isaiah 9, we learn about a conqueror who is in a class all by himself, a conqueror who dispels gloom, radiates light, increases joy, breaks yokes, burns boots, humbly bears gracious titles, and brings a lasting and loving peace to all of his subjects. And that conqueror is Christ. You know, the climatic verse here in Isaiah 9, and and let me read it for us again, Isaiah 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You know, it's vital for us to understand Isaiah 9, verse 6, but this verse um, shines more radiantly as we look at all the scriptures surrounding it here in Isaiah 9 and uh, again in the book of Isaiah and again in, in all of God's word. And, but as we consider this prophecy from Isaiah, uh, we learned that the gracious prophecy of God's conquering son provides us with unending peace. You know, how does this prophecy of God's conquering son provide us then with peace. See, first there's a great conquest, then a gracious conquest, and finally a gospel conquest. Consider first those uh, first five verses of Isaiah 9, God's great context. I'm glad that in Sunday school uh, we've begun our study of Isaiah. We have Sunday school books available. Just found out that Dr. Duguid's opening you know, has a, uh, it's available online. You can uh, see one of our Sunday school teachers about all the links to that. You know, but, but here's some biblical background about Isaiah uh, that it will be helpful as we study God's word. It's about 740 B.C., uh, before the birth of Christ here in Isaiah's time. The northern kingdom of Israel Uh, would soon be conquered, carried off to captivity by Assyria, 
uh, the world power back then. They would be, uh, Israel would be defeated about 722 B.C. But even the southern kingdom of Judah would soon be conquered, carried off by the Babylonians in 586 B.C. And so Israel was concerned not only about military defeat here, but what Isaiah the prophet focuses on as well is Israel's spiritual defeat, uh, their decline into sin. If you go through the opening chapter, some of the sins that Isaiah the prophet focuses on, uh, the sin of superstition, a sin of materialism, of idolatry, of arrogance, sensuality, drunkenness, just to name a few. And then in Isaiah 9, we see these are dark and depressing days for Israel. You know, again, going back to history, Assyria, who is led by Tiglath-Pileser II, you know, has brought his armies into northern Israel, and he will be capturing Zebulon, Naphtali, the way of the sea, Galilee of the Gentiles. And, and so the question is, is there any hope here for God's people? If you go back to the last verse of chapter 8, Isaiah 8, verse 22, and they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. You know, these are days of distress, the gloom of darkness. Um, but now in Isaiah 9, we, we see the dawning of gospel hope. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. The her referring to of God's people, the land of Israel. There will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. There is a promised end to despair and distress for God's chosen one. Now we're going to move through these first five verses quickly, but uh, to give you an outline here, there are, are five prophetic promises that Isaiah delivers to Judah, the promises of God's great conquest. You know, first promise of conquest that deals with geography. You know, God brought humiliating defeat on Zebulon and Naphtali, which were then still a part of Israel, the northern kingdom. Uh, they were the regions first conquered uh, by the Assyrian of invaders. There's a, a cross-reference there in 2 Kings uh, chapter 15, verse 29. You know, but now God promises and we read it in his word that he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. You know, and when did God make this all glorious? Keep your finger there in Isaiah 9. Hear these verses, Matthew chapter 4, verse 12, beginning of Jesus' ministry. Matthew chapter 4, verse 12. Now when he heard, that's Jesus had heard, that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulon and Naphtali, 
so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people walking, dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. And from that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You know, so God is fulfilling this prophecy, and we'll see ultimately it is fulfilled in Christ. But there's not only that gospel promise of geography, now verse 2, that gospel, that uh, prophetic fulfillment of a great light. Those who have walked in darkness, you know, here it's the darkness of sin, you know, the darkness of captivity in a foreign land, you know, have seen a great light. You know, the light of God's presence with his people, his guidance, his grace. Again, in Christ. You know, as you read through John's gospel, you hear that time and time again. But hear this, John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5 John 1, verse 4, in him, in Christ, was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So the prophecy of geography, prophecy of a great light, third, prophecy of gladness at, at, at conquest. You know, you, speaking of God, Lord God, you have multiplied the nation and have increased its joy. Now here God seems to be speaking still to that remnant of Judah that's holding on by faith in God's faithfulness and God promises them that he will increase their joy. In fact, if you look through verse 3, look, hear all those words, joy, rejoice, joy at the harvest. They are glad when they divide the spoil. You know, there, there is gladness at this prophecy of God's conquest in Christ. You know, that's the theme of Isaiah. As you're reading through Isaiah, a lot of great gospel themes but that theme of gospel gladness. Isaiah 35, verse 10. Isaiah 35, 10. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. John Calvin put it this way. Speaking of Isaiah, he begins to comfort the wretched by the hope of alleviation that they may not be swallowed up by the huge mass of distresses. He encourages them to expect the favor of God. He encourages them to expect the favor of God. That's true in Isaiah's time. We need to rest on that, that promise today. You know, we can expect the favor of God even more than God's people in Isaiah's time. Christ has come. Christ died for our sins on the cross. He rose again. You know, again, you know, we, we hear that, that glad conquest here, but it's a great 
conquest. Verse 4, the fourth prophecy. It's almost Exodus language here. There's a prophesied end to the painful reign of their oppressors. You know, think back to Israel's slavery in Egypt. And for every boot of the tramping warrior, well, back up to verse 4, for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, three showing complete conquest here, you have broken us on the day of Midian. You know, if that word Midian sounds familiar, we go back to Judges, back to Gideon. You know, Gideon, and this is the way I would describe him, you know, God sovereignly raised up a nobody to defeat the Midianites, you know, a dread world power. And how did they defeat the Midianites? You know, read it. Read it to your children. Judges 7. They defeated them with trumpets and clay jars. You know, then that's the way God works in his wisdom and his sovereignty. Sermon for another time. Uh, Verse 5. You know, the last prophecy, the cessation of warfare. You know, every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned up as fuel for the fire. That's what God is going to do with the enemy the garments of the enemy. You know, keep in mind that Israel's victory, though great, were always temporary victories. You know, even if Israel were to defeat Assyria or Judah were to defeat Babylon, Babylon, there would be yet another bruising and bloody battle. You know, but but here, you know, God is pointing us ahead to that great Glorious victory that we know by grace through faith in Christ. Christ who defeated sin and death and the grave. You know, we can now live in light of that faithful, full, and final conquest of God. Matthew Henry put it this way. The design of the gospel and the grace of it is to break the yoke of sin and Satan and to free us from the rod of those oppressors that we might be brought into the glorious liberty of the children of God. And then he goes on to say, Christ is our Gideon. It is his sword that doeth wonders. You know, in God's sovereign plan of salvation, we too live in days of darkness, despair, and distress. You know, these prophetic promises in Isaiah 9 are given to us as well. You know, not just to Israel, not just to Judah. You know, God gives us that gospel assurance of of his great victory, his great conquest in in Christ. So the first portion here. But now verse 6, God's gracious conquest. And and we'll be here for for a little bit, but... um, Plenty here. This is a a bottomless well, an ever-flowing spring of the gospel. And let me read it yet one more time. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, 
And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You know, for me, it's hard, you know, when I read Isaiah 9, verse 6, not to think of the Messiah. Um, you know, encourage you to listen to it uh, during uh, this Christmas season. You know, it's saturated uh, with scripture, um, but it's helpful if you can have the lyrics in front of you as, as you listen to it. Uh, but there is a chorus that, that just proclaims this gospel message here in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. I'm grateful as well that uh, our worship team um, sang that hymn, that we were all were able to sing that hymn, To Us a Child a Hope is Born. It, you know, it's Isaiah 9, verse 6, almost word for word. You know, but, but before we consider these gracious titles for Christ, you know, it's vital for us to understand the introduction. Look at Isaiah 9, verse 6. And it reads literally in, in the Hebrew like this, A child born to us. That, that child, that, that noun is right there at the front end of the sentence. A child born to us. You know, and that would include us. You know, to us, a son is given. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, is another uh, glorious gospel prophecy. Isaiah 7, verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. You know, a child born to us, you know, a son given to us. You know, keep in mind that our our theme verse for uh, this series is uh, based on Romans chapter 8, verse 32. Romans 8, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And so here, God's word said, a child is born to us, unto us a son is given. The government, the rule, will be upon his shoulders. He will be our redeemer and ruler, and his name shall be called, or is called. And and then these four titles. Yes, I know there are some who say, wonderful counselor, two different titles, but uh, thinking of uh, Hebrew poetry, that, that balance, um, we'll uh, look at it as four titles here. That first title, true title, here sp- speaking of Christ, you know, wonderful counselor. You know, even that word wonderful, you know, it's not just a wonderful meal, wonderful day. Christ is that wonderful counselor, wonderful, you know, in scripture speaks of that which is mysterious and marvelous, you know, God's marvelous ways of guiding us, growing us in our walk of faith, that word wonderful is used just a couple chapters later, Isaiah 11 verse 2, 
Isaiah 11, verse 2, and again, it's a messianic prophecy. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. You know, Christ is is that wonderful counselor, that wise counselor, you know, who guides, orders, directs our steps. Secondly, you know, he is a mighty God. Some translate it a divine warrior. You know, a God who is strong in battle, a God who fights for his people. You know, we see a glimpse of it earlier in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17. Deuteronomy 10, verse 17. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribes. E.J. Young, um, Old Testament professor, wrote what could be considered the definitive work on Isaiah, put it this way, along with Alec Motier. Uh, But uh, Dr. Young writes, He who is born of the mighty God is able, therefore able, to save all those who put their trust in him. You know, if we ever doubt, if we're ever wondering, well, Lord, are you going to win this battle? Yes, he will. You know, he is the mighty God. He wins all battles. Most importantly, that that battle over sin and Satan there at the cross of Calvary. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father. He's that eternal father, strong to save. But he's also that father that we can call Abba, as we learned in Romans 8 verse 15. No, God has always been the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is no end to the Messiah's kingdom. And if you're wondering about truths about the Trinity and Christology here, when we say that Christ is our everlasting father, we remember what Christ himself said. John chapter 10, I and the father are one. And therefore, we can rightly call Christ as well, not only wonderful counselor, mighty God, but everlasting father. But then Isaiah, God himself, saves the best for last. He is prince of peace. You know, this is a climatic title, a penultimate title for Christ. You know, the commander who graciously brings his peace to pass. You know, peace, though, you know, is more than the absence of conflict, a military ceasefire. Old Testament word, you could probably um, make a, uh, your educated Bible guess is the word shalom. You know, it speaks of a right relationship with God the Father, by the gracious work of Christ the Son. You know, Romans chapter 5, verse 1, we've looked at it uh, 
here a month or two ago, Romans chapter 5, verse 1, thinking about peace. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Christ is that Prince of Peace. And again, quoting Dr. Young, true peace comes to us because a child was born. That child and he alone is the Prince of Peace. Would we have peace? It is to him that we must go. You know, here again, that that last part, would we have peace? It is to him that we must go. You know, as we make out our Christmas lists, both giving and receiving, you know, have we ever pleaded with our wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Lord, give us peace. Lord, give us peace in, in, in our hearts. Lord, give us peace in our homes. Lord, give us peace in our communities, in our workplaces, in our classrooms. Give us peace, Lord, and this would be a bold prayer, in the halls of Congress, in the White House, and our state government in Baton Rouge. You know, with that prayer, you know, may the Lord Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, bring that gracious gospel peace into our stress-filled and sin situations you know what does the peace of Christ look like you know to, to be more scripturally specific here I believe the peace with Christ would start with repentance for sin you know we can't pray for peace for with Christ if we're rebelling against God we're running from God You know, that's where it starts. You know, Lord, search me, O God. Know my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. Lord, bring about your work of repentance. Secondly, we pray for peaceful reconciliation. You know, but that peaceful reconciliation always starts with God the Father through faith in God the Son. That Holy Father who loves us in Christ. You know, hear these words from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now verse 14. For he himself, Christ himself, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So when we, we are praying for peace, we are praying for that, that, that peace of Christ would reign and rule in our hearts. You know, that, that peace that, would be, that was bought with a price, the blood of Christ, there at the cross of Calvary. 
You know, finally we pray, you know, as we pray this prayer, you know, you know, we're praying that we as those who know peace with God through faith in Christ, that we would gladly worship him and be those gracious witnesses for Christ. As I've already said, um, you know, Dr. Ian Duguid is writing our Sunday school lessons on Isaiah. And uh, I'm not sure who will be teaching on December 27th. I cheated. I looked ahead. And uh, Sunday school will be studying Isaiah 7 and Isaiah 9 on uh, December 27th. But he writes this about Isaiah 9, and specifically verse 6. Uh, These names are displayed in action in the description of the coming king's activities in verse 7. And he summarizes the names of Christ this way, wisdom, power, eternity, and peace. Israel needed a king like this. You know, but you and I as well need a gracious king like this. You know, as we sing the Christmas hymns this year, uh, let me challenge our children. You know, parents, if you're wondering what your children can do during the sermon, have them look at the Christmas hymns we're singing. Have them start writing down a list of all the names of Christ. I'll just end of the hymns that we sang this morning. You know, here's a few titles for Christ. Everlasting Lord, Christ, Prince of Peace, Son of Righteousness, King of Kings, Lord Most High. And then these four names for Christ. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, in two applications here uh, for Isaiah 9, verse 6, you know, may it lead us to praise. You know, nothing in the news, well, very little in the news, you know, will lead us to joy, gladness. And for us as Christians, if we want to be those joyful, glad, rejoicing followers of Christ, you know, use scripture, and I'm preaching to myself, you know, to prompt us to praise. You know, praise the Lord for the gracious gift of the child that was born to us. Continue to praise him, you know, for giving to us his son, Jesus, who rules over us even now. The government shall be upon his shoulder. But then secondly, may it lead Isaiah 9, 6, prompt you to prayer. You know, if you're wondering, you know, what to pray for, just you know, let those titles for Christ prompt you. Lord, thank you that you're my wonderful counselor. Thank you that you wisely guide me in my walk of faith. Thank you that you're a mighty God, defeated sin and death and the grave. Thank you that you are the everlasting father. You've always been my father. You're my father now in Christ. You always will be. You know, everything around us is in flux, but everlasting father. And then finally, prince of peace. You know, prayer, praise. Finally there, verse 7. You know, a wonderful concluding verse to this section 
You know, now we see God's gospel conquest. It's not only a great conquest and a gracious conquest, it's a gospel conquest. And we see again that ceaseless reign of God, of the increase of his government and of peace. I love how they link those words together. You know, God's government, God's peace in Christ, there will be no end. You know, there will be an end to this government, but there will be no end to God's gracious government. You know, his gospel conquest, you know, no end. You know, at the close of the service today, we're going to sing these words. Born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king, born to reign in us forever. Now thy gracious kingdom bring. It's a ceaseless reign. It's a covenant reign. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and to uphold it. We looked before at God's covenant with Abraham. And now there's a reference to God's covenant with David. 2 Samuel 7. And what was the chief component of God's covenant promise to David? It said a seed of David descendant of David, would always sit upon the throne. And who is the one sitting upon that throne, that descendant of David? It is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. You know, God's covenant reign in in Christ. You know, this was the same promise that the angel proclaimed to Mary. Uh, We're coming to a close, but uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 32 and 33, Luke 1, 32 Angel speaking to Mary, he, speaking of Christ, will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. You know, it's a covenant reign. And and what are the two distinguishing marks of that covenant reign? Justice and righteousness. Justice and righteousness. You know, here we see the steadfast relevancy of holy scriptures. You know, so many people today are shouting, screaming for justice. And here God's word proclaims justice, but, you know, study it for yourself. You know, Justice and righteousness. There will never be justice without God's righteousness in Christ. And when God brings his righteousness in Christ, there will be justice. Two merciful marks of the Messiah's reign. You know, we have a foretaste of it, but we will know it in its fullness and glory. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. In other words, God is saying, by my own name, by my unchanging character, by my covenant promises in Christ, this will be accomplished. This will come to pass. You know, close with this. You know, this past Tuesday night, a small group from uh, church uh, took part in a Christmas service at Sibyl's funeral home. They do it every year before Christmas, and they invite all the families um, who are grieving. 
Um, So we sang several Christmas hymns. Uh, We prayed. I gave a short message on God's proclamation of of peace uh, from Luke chapter 2, you know, verses 13 and 14. It's when the angelic host is appearing. We hear this, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. You know, there is no hope. There is no peace apart from Christ. But the great gospel news is this, is that in Christ we have hope. In Christ we have peace. Not just a a shot in the arm peace, here today, gone tomorrow, but a peace, a growing peace, a gracious peace, a genuine peace. Because God has sent to us his child, his son, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you, uh, for your gift of peace in Christ. Your most gracious gift in giving to us your Son and our Savior Jesus. And uh, Lord, pray uh, that we would not only know that peace in our hearts, our homes, and our churches. This your church, Lord. Uh, but Pray that as you have given us that gift of peace, Lord, pray that you would be pleased to use us to proclaim that good news of the gospel, the peace that comes by grace through faith in Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.